amateur hour is open for business and boy did uh did my producer and co-host put together an amazing show danny wexelman she's over there in her virtual studio i'm darren sutton and um gosh this is so good so parker messick is amazing he's a gifted like kind of a well-rounded athlete he was the pitcher of the year in the acc last year he's a flame-throwing left-handed pitcher but he's really down to earth he's going to be a day one draft um and we'll get inside his head figure out who he is how he got there his journey um he was willing to kind of strip down and start over where he needed to as a pitcher upon arriving he wasn't a massive guy out of high school um but he sure is now danny he sure is now yeah he's made a name for himself and what he's been doing this season for florida state obviously impressive and i'm um, going back looking at stats his name pops out we haven't talked to anybody from florida state yet this season on the podcast by the way my virtual office not as great as your virtual office but that's neither here nor there. But with Parker, what I really appreciated was that we broke down very specifically three games in particular in, against Notre Dame. He goes eight innings and he comes back the next game. He gives up 10 hits, six runs to Georgia Tech. He only goes two and two thirds, right? And then he bounces back against Louisville, a top 10 team. And so just to get inside and figure out what was going on. And he, like you said, he, he told us everything. He didn't hold back super honest about where he was at and what he needed to do to get back. And a lot of that uh, he attributes to pitching coach Jimmy Bellinger. So I, I thought that was really interesting to hear. And you'll learn what Bellinger is able to do for his whole staff. You get tiptoed around a lot when you're an athlete and that's okay, especially with your local Tallahassee media um, where they won't go back much more and ask about an outing like that. I'm always loving asking pitchers, especially, um, about a poor outing when they're having a good year why not ask about the poor outing because to me that's the thing that that's the outlier right and yeah. you know we were just the other day in person talking to Alex Duraco the great pitcher from Michigan who strikes out the world and she got hammered by Northwestern and we flew to be with her and that was my first question about that I'm sure she was surprised that I wanted to talk about that but <laughs> she gave an amazing answer that you know she had another outing where she struck out 18 said she learned a lot more from getting hammered yeah. by Northwestern. And so that's why I love that you asked him about that. Get inside his head. Guest number two, um, gosh, Sh Shamar Page from Grambling. And he is um, an impact two-way player, but he's doing it as a graduate student. He's got his degree in his back pocket already. He has transferred from Louisiana Tech. He's got a thousand plus OPS as a hitter. Dude never strikes out. And he just recently threw a perfect game against Alcorn State, 10 starts as a pitcher. Amazing dude, like the, the stats are incredible. We could stop there, but then there's the guy. And so I, I love this conversation. Man, he was special. I was so excited that we got to talk to him. And I he's been all over social media since the perfect game. And so I wanted to make sure that we were able to hear about that. But I wanted to know about him, the person, because his depth through college baseball, starting back in 2017 at Community College, and then he goes to La Tech, and now he's at Grambling. Why did he do that? How did he get here? Who were the people who helped him get there along the way? I mean, his story is incredible, but this guy's got a wealth of knowledge. And I, I do think, you know, whatever he does after baseball has that major league career or goes on to coach, I want to play for him. I want to be on Shamar Page's team. Yeah, he lost his dad at 11. He was actually in the accident in which his father passed away. And he'll share on how he was grown from that tough space in his life uh, as he's a man now. Hayden McGeary will join us. Hayden McGeary was a guest on Perfect Game College Baseball with my co-host Hunter Pence. You can catch it every week, a brand new edition midweek on Perfect Game TV. Grab the app if you want to stream it. It's also on YouTube, but we'd rather you grab the app and watch it there. So Hayden, the reigning Division II Player of the Year, has 19 more home runs this year for Colorado Mesa University, 59 in his career, and again, was kind of unwanted out of high school and is going to be a pro. Has played. He's a Golden Spikes finalist at a Division II school, so you'll love some of the things Hayden and Hunter talk about. Love that. And then you lined up Brian Sikowski and Vinny Servino uh, as far as opening up their scouts' notebooks through their scouts' eyes. They reshuffle things around. We're getting closer to July in the draft. College seasons are three quarters of the way through. High school seasons, some are now heading to the playoffs. They take a brand new look at the perfect game draft board 400. So 
Uh, that's our show, and it's a it's a heck of a show. So let's let's roll it, let's play it, let's do it, let's let's enjoy some great conversations. So Florida State's Parker Messick, right? And athletes will always tell you, not all the time. They're a little bit more honest this generation. That I don't see the fact that I'm number forty two on PG's recent draft board. I don't hear all those mock draft conversations that go on around me. I focus on the now. I focus on the Seminoles. I focus on my team only. Is that the case, Parker? Is that what you're going to tell me? Or when you have put in your hard work and maybe you're dozing off one night, maybe watching your favorite show that you're streaming, you do let yourself daydream just a little bit about what that may look like the next. Yeah, you obviously, you know, the the draft is obviously on on everyone's mind. All the draft eligible players, it's it's on everyone's mind. But I will give the cliche answer that, yes, the goal is to lead the Seminoles to Omaha and take uh, every game one at a time and just try and get that win. And ultimately, ultimately the, the draft will take care of itself if, if I'm pitching in Omaha. So the main goal is to get there and just keep taking it one game at a time. And here's where that rings true and where I believe you're being genuine. You're Florida guy through and through. Plant City, where you battled as a captain for a couple of years, um, running it for state titles, Florida burn guy. We love the Florida burn program. You are kind of Florida guy through and through, and you have been able to segment out your life. Who were you, you know, back in 2019 when you, when you graduated high school, when you graduated Plant City, before you got started at Florida State as a man, as a baseball player, as a travel ball guy? Who were you then in comparison to who the guy is we're talking to today? Yeah, I was definitely a lot more of a kind of under the radar, small town type of kid coming out of college. I mean, obviously Florida State saw something in me and saw that they could develop something in me as a, a kid and a player. So, you know, going up to Florida State, my main goal was to just kind of find a way to, to earn some respect and get some time on the field and, you know, kind of gaining the respect of, of the coaches and the, the staff and the players on the team was, was my main goal. So they, I knew that, you know, they, they knew who I was as a person first and foremost, and then, and then going on and trying to get that time on the field that it kind of helped out when, you know, they knew who I was as a kid and, and the work ethic that I was, that I was willing to put in and the time that I was willing to spend in the weight room and in the training room and on the field, it, it kind of helped develop a little bit of, you know, a, a good look for me going in and trying to earn a spot as a freshman. And, you know, I was just a regular bullpen arm coming in, in the spring. And then right before quarantine ended, I, I was named the, the closer um, for that for that year's team. So and then obviously the season got ended short, but definitely came in as a, a little bit of a kind of under the radar type of guy. And then just, you know, put my head down and really work for a spot. So you gave the cliche answer, but. I think that from what I've seen of you on the mound, you do let yourself show some personality. You you have this, this spark about you and, and it looks like you're having a good time. So that strays a little bit from the traditional, you know, I'm, I'm Mr. Serious on the mound and I'm not going to show anything. So from that perspective, and I think Darren and I like to hear this a lot, who are the people when you were growing up that helped you develop into the, the picture that you are, but also the person, like give us some of the people and the roles that they played in your development. Yeah. So my dad's definitely the, if you see me fired up on the mound after a strikeout, I guarantee you he's kind of doing something very similar in the stands um, as what I'm doing on the mound. So he's definitely kind of always been that motivator and, you know, just the, the kind of fire that I've always, he's always been my coach, whether I was playing football, soccer, basketball, or baseball, he, he was my coach through most of most of every sport and every season. So, you know, if, if I need to be fired up, he, he was the one that would get me fired up in that kind of way. But, you know, I've had a lot of uh, good mentors um, throughout my playing career. My high school football coach, my high school baseball coach, Randy Sullivan um, at the Florida Armory where I train and, and then all the way up here with, with the coaching staff with uh, Bellinger and, and Mike Martin and Metcalf. They, they've all played a huge role in developing me as a player, a, a person and a pitcher. I think that when you're a kid and you get those car ride home with your parents or, you know, your dad coming home from the game, whether it was a good or, or bad game, sometimes there's something that sticks with you for your whole life, a conversation or an idea that they had about you. For me, it was always constructive criticism or, you know, stop crying after every strikeout. That was, Absolutely. those were my conversations, but what, what were some of yours that have stuck with you from your dad? A uh, specific memory from little league, uh, you know, usually a little league game, there's about 
10 different teams playing on all the fields around the Little League on like a Tuesday or Thursday night, whenever it is. And one night I was pitching on the mound and I was probably anywhere between like eight to 11 years old and probably more towards the eight, nine age. And um, I had a bad game and I, I don't remember if it was, I don't know who I was mad at, whether it was the umpire had a uh, tight strike zone or I was just showing emotion on the mound in a negative way. But I specifically remember my dad kicking open the gate of that dugout and running out on the field, pulling me out of the game, hitting, pulling me out of the game, pitching, just completely made me sit the rest of the game. And then he didn't say a word to me until the game was over. And then the entire Little League shut off the lights to the entire park facility. The gates were closed. We had to call a maintenance guy to come unlock the gate to let the truck out because that's how long he sat there, you know, talking to me, explaining to me why this is not how you act as a pitcher. And if I want to be, you know, an elite pitcher at the next level, then I got I need to be more mentally tough and more mentally strong rather than, you know, showing that negative emotion. And I think that's kind of where you see the a lot more positive emotion when I'm on the mound. I, I never do anything at another team. I never try and disrespect an umpire or another player. It's strictly just to fire myself up and fire my teammates up when I come off the mound. Wow. Oh, Messick. <laughs> yeah. That's a great, great, great story, my friend. TJ, man, that a boy, TJ. That's a mic drop moment for him, right? Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, and the fact, the fact that you're now mature enough to share that with us and you've grown and, you know, someday you'll be a father and, you know, that's very cool. Um, in a similar vein, it doesn't have to be that deep and impactful and unforgettable, but kind of introduce us to your mom, April, and some moments that she has guided you along the way. Or what does she mean to you as a mom? Because as we all know, we're all fortunate to have our both our parents, those, those of us that do, you know, those of us that do, to have both guiding us and kind of a yin and yang. Tell me about April. Yeah, she's she's the exact opposite of my dad. She doesn't care how I pitch, doesn't care what I do. You know, she just loves her son and you know she's she's the glue to the family for sure and as most mothers are she's just you know was kind of the one where if I didn't really want to ride home with dad after the game she would like hop me in the car real quick to where I could ride home with her so where I didn't have to get a lecture but you know she she means just as much as my dad did growing up in sports as far as you know I get the constructive criticism on one side and get the the, the loving nurturing mother on the other and to this day, I don't know that she's seen me throw a pitch live in, in, on, in a college baseball game. She comes to every game, and then as soon as I go on the mound, she walks behind the bleachers and just prays and can't watch me pitch. It makes her too nervous. And then as soon as we hit and the inning's over, she'll come back out and watch us hit. As soon as I come back on the mound, same routine every time. She gets to know all the maintenance people, all the concession stand workers really well because she just can't watch me pitch. But, you know, it, it's been our ongoing tradition ever since wow. – probably high school, but she, she keeps doing it. And, you know, I'm honestly okay with it because she can always catch it on TV the next day. But, you know, as long as I keep pitching well, we're going to keep it going. Wow. That's another crazy story at the yeah. very end of that. That's amazing. Yeah. You know, newsflash, mom, he's really good. It's worth watching. <laughs> if you're watching someone like me in college, you should take a walk. Like, you, I get it. But newsflash, mom, he's really, really good. Watch, watch once in person. Yeah. Um, it, it's worth doing. I, I got to know, because when, when you get invited to be a part of the collegiate national team, that's a real badge of honor, right? Um, and, and again, going back to the cliches, you guys all say the right thing, as you should. It's a huge honor to be a part of it. But how important was it for you the year after the pand or the year of the pandemic that that Florida Collegiate Summer League team had innings, that they played baseball, they had innings for you. As you said, you would have been elevated at the end of your canceled 2020 freshman year all of a sudden you had a place to go play what was the name of your team a random name i remember uh, the, right the winter garden squeeze the squeeze there yeah. we go the squeeze so how important was that summer for you with the squeeze yeah it was huge i mean i was supposed to go up to the cape that that summer and play up in brewster and of course the cape got shut down so then you know coach bellinger called me and said hey we got a league opened up right close to home if you want to go pitch some innings and at the time, I knew our Friday night starter and our Saturday night starter was going to be drafted, that they, they had just been taken in the drafts. So I was like, yeah, of course, you know, I'm trying to earn one of those spots. So so I was able to go on and, you know, prove that I could start. And I put up some good numbers there, ended up, you know, winning the Cy Young Award from that league. And, you know, it proved to my coaches that, you know, through that whole quarantine process, I was able to get better. I really worked on my body and, and got a lot stronger and more durable. And 
was able to prove that I could be a starter and ultimately proved it into the fall and then came out that next spring and was the Friday night guy. So, you know, them opening up that league during that time was, was huge for me. It, it gave me the chance to continue to prove myself. Do you have any squeeze gear? Anything I, left? I have, a, I have a little bit. I have a jersey I like and a hat, I think. Squeeze, <laughs> yep. man. Obviously a juice it's original. I'm yeah. guessing. Yes, yeah. yes, yes absolutely. Very original. Yep. So we've heard you mention Jimmy Bellinger a couple times now. So I feel like we got to dive in a little bit there because just watching what you've done this season, you know, I, I wanted you to on this podcast before you had already won three times ACC of the week and you're leading oh, sure the strikeout you charts. You know, I did, but I swear I did. I know, right? <laughs> That's a little humble brag, but you know, you've mentioned him now a couple of times. So what's the difference? What, what has he done for you that has made your game better? He, it, Jimmy is so huge on um, the mental side of pitching. And, you know, when you get to high school and, you, you know, you think you're one of the best pitchers around, you get to college, it's a completely different level of baseball. Everyone that you're playing is every high school team's best pitcher, best hitter, best player all the way around. So, you know, there, there's a different aspect of the game when it comes to speed of the game and, and being able to be tough in bigger situations and just atmospheres that you play in. Um, you know, you can't let any of that stuff affect you. The big crowds, the, the chirping dugouts, all of that stuff. And, and when it comes to, to pitching, Belly has taught me so much as far as, you know, being able to learn how to control my emotions and, and how to bear down and make tough outs and be able to just figure out how to pitch out of any situation and, you know, be able to use all of my pitches and be able to learn how to throw new ones and really just pound the strike zone and attack guys. And he has done so much for me as a pitcher coming in at Florida State. So take us through Georgia Tech or to, from Notre Dame to Georgia Tech to Louisville and what what adjustments or you know what was the difference there what kind of walk us through what happened and and how you got back on track yeah obviously Notre Dame is probably my best outing as a Seminole that had no hits going through seven and two something like that and um yeah it was kind of riding a high I just had another ACC pitcher of the week the week prior against Duke so I was kind of riding a little high then you know we traveled to Georgia Tech and the the team wasn't we weren't playing our, our best baseball with Seminoles. And, you know, so it was kind of tough. I, I was putting a lot of pressure on myself at the time. I think I was trying to continue to have those outings to give us the best chance to win. And um, then went up to Georgia Tech and <laughs> got hit. I mean, every pitcher gets hit. It was just one of those games. I I, I mean, we, we battled hard, but there's just really nothing you can do when, when you give up so many runs. So, yeah, I mean, it was on me. I, I even, as soon as I got pulled out of the game, I, I went in the corner of the dugout and, you know, gathered the team. I was like, all right, guys, it, tonight wasn't my day. You know, do it, like, let's try and salvage this game. Let's try and get back in it. I, I apologize, that is on me. But, you know, next time I got y'all, and y'all know that. So, you know, try and try and battle back. And we did. We we ended up having the tying run at the plate at the end of the game and, and Friday night's loss, which we battled back. We didn't get the win. But, you know, the team did their best to pick me up. And, you know, I promised them that the next week it wouldn't be the same. And, you know, we got a big midweek win versus Florida that week. So we were kind of getting back on a little high. And then, you know, Friday night, or I guess it was a Thursday, you know, I promised them that I, it wasn't going to be the same way. So I went out there and did my thing again. And, you know, I was fired up the whole game, of course, because that, that's what I do when I, you know, when I know the team's down a little bit, I, I try and pick them back up to get them on a a better high so you know and then we ended up sweeping the rest of the weekend after that outing so you know it was just a roller coaster of emotions going up and down good good outings and bad outings but that's what you got to do that's you know that's something like I was saying with belly and something that my dad trained me all the way growing up the mental toughness just to be able to clear that Georgia Tech outing be able to bounce right back and be the pitcher I knew I was from the Duke and Notre Dame series and just be able to have another one against the best offense in the country that I think that was huge for myself as well as the team. There was a, a huge game show, and it's still on, but your generation probably doesn't watch a lot of cable TV, yeah. but there was a huge a huge game show called Wheel of Fortune. You spin the wheel, they spin back a letter at a time, but then you don't win until you fill in the blanks, right? Yep. So the letters I'm going to give you are your pitches, but you're going to fill in the blanks for me and make it a complete statement. It's fastball, it's slider, it's changeup, it's curve. I've spun those around. Now fill in the blanks. Fill in the blanks to make it why you are who you are as a pitcher. I know pitches. I pitched in college and in the minor leagues. Danny knows them very well, too. But if I give you those four pitches as things to fill in the blanks on, fill in the blanks on those four pitches for me. 
Yeah, the the fastball is obviously my go-to, as it is with most guys. It's, you know, mid to low 90s. I, I've done a lot better at uh, controlling the, the velo in the mid to low 90s this year. Last year was more of a 89 to 91, and now it's more of a 90 to 93 touch and fours this year. So I've done a better job at, at holding velo, and it it's made that pitch all the better. And my fastball command, you know, that starts everything. When I can command the inside, the – the low and away, the up and in, um, chase the fastball up, down and in. When I can control all four quadrants of the zone with my fastball, it makes my off speed so much better. And then, then to go to my best off speed pitch, it's it's by far my changeup. It's all it's been one of my best pitches growing up um, through little league. I've kind of thrown the same grip since I was a freshman in high school, and you know I've just been able to manipulate it. And when the fastball commands on, the changeup is all, all the better they they most teams don't really get to it unless they're kind of sitting on it and when they sit on it I have three other pitches that I can go to so so it's really hard to sit on one pitch and um then you go down to the the slider and the curveball which I use both the lefties and righties it doesn't bother me to backdoor a slider or throw a curveball to the lefty which is typically untraditional of a pitcher to do and but you know I whatever I think's best in the count whatever belly thinks is best um, uh, for that specific hitter in that specific situation, that's what I'm going to throw. And, you know, I, re I really like to attack the zone with all four pitches. I'm not afraid to throw three, two curveballs or three, two changeups or three, two up heaters. It doesn't bother me. I I'm not, I'm not really the type of guy that likes to walk people. So, you know, I'm going to attack the zone and fill up with all four more pitches. Yeah, you filled in the blanks very nicely. Have you ever watched wheel of fortune, by the way? I, I have. Yes, sir. Really? Do you yeah. like do you, now? Would you prefer that or Family Feud? If I were to give you only one that you could watch on cable television, I, it's funny because I played <laughs> on the Wii with my family. We had a little Wii, and you can buy both the games. So I played Family Feud and Wheel of Fortune. They're both fun on the Wii, but I I'm gonna have to go with Family Feud, honestly. Yeah, it's a better game. It just is. But you did well at Wheel of Fortune. So if I go to bonfire.com/slash messic15 m-e-s-s-i-c-k um and buy a t-shirt i'm actually going to because i really like it it's it's the baseball seams basically uh wrapped around a cross now when a young man puts out something like that that makes a, a statement again i'm buying i'm in I, I i'm buying along with that statement but you do that to raise awareness certainly but explain to me the thought process behind that t-shirt yeah absolutely i mean everything that starts um my life i'm a, I'm a big faith guy um i believe that everything that i do is is built off my lord and savior jesus christ and he has put me in this situation to preach his gospel and to be able to carry his cross and you know just lead to more uh lead him or lead more people to him um and and that's why i'm in this position so you know everything i do on and off the field it's for him and for his glory and you know you see me every time before i start start on the mound i'm I'm on my my knee and hats off and, you know, I'm praying up to the Lord. And, uh, you know, that that's pretty much leads me in every aspect of my life on the field, off the field. I know my my goal is to to lead more people to him. So that was just kind of another way that I was able to to use my platform as a college athlete and be able to share his word and, you know, let everyone know that that my success is solely from his grace and his mercy. Vinny Servino is uh, one of the national scouting directors for Perfect Game, and he does such an amazing job. But what he really focuses this time of year is college baseball, handling all the content that you see on perfectgame.org. So when Vinny gets together with his scout team, and we're going to hear another member of his team a little bit later, and shuffles the draft board around as he sees it, trust me, he's calling major league organizations, getting their wisdom as well. Um, you want to hear it. So Vinny, with his take on the reshuffling, as we get closer to the July draft, here's Perfect Game's Draft 400, some of the movements on the board. Hi, I'm Vinny Servino, National Cross Checker with Perfect Game, and I'm here to talk about the new Top 400 draft list released by us this week. Uh, and one of the more interesting categories of uh, and demographics of the draft this year, which is college pitching. Um, college pitching has gotten sort of a reputation for being one of the safer demographics, which is true to a certain extent. But this year has kind of failed to establish a consensus top guy, and those top guys have somewhat gotten hurt or will be out for the rest of the year. You think guys like Mississippi State's Landon Sims, uh, Tennessee's Blade Tidwell is just coming back. Um, Kamar Rocker is also back, but we don't really know what he's doing yet. Carson Wisenhunt won't pitch this year for East Carolina, so it's been kind of a mixed bag. One guy that we think is kind of our consensus number one college arm on the board is Cooper Jerpy at Oregon State. He's a low slot lefty with a really low release height. 
uh, sweeping slaughter. It's three solid secondary pitches. He's a guy who's really established himself this spring. Um, some other guys to note are Gabriel Hughes from Gonzaga. We think he's going to be a first-rounder at this point. He's been up to 96-97, starter right-handed profile. Uh, really firm power slider. Another guy to note is Connor Stain at UCF. He's uh, got banked up a little bit uh, over the course of the season, but he pitched his first 30 innings without allowing an earned run, and the data's really good. He's an athletic prospect. There's a lot of things to like. Um, but what we're kind of seeing at this point is that college pitching still has to iron itself out. And there's still a lot of time left between now and July for a lot of guys to kind of establish themselves and put their names in the line as guys that could be potentially taken in rounds one or two. I'm ready to get started, and I'm leading this one off. I yeah. am, I, I've been over the moon excited to talk to you, Shamar, before you threw a perfect game. And now we have so much to talk about. There's so much depth to who you are and, and what you've done in college baseball and throughout your career. I guess just to, just to begin – how are you post uh, throwing a perfect game? It's not it, it's not something that you get to see every day. You, you, you're in the history books now with your team. So how are you post perfect game? Um, full. That's probably the best the best way to describe it. Uh, my phone's been going crazy. All of my former teammates, former coaches, been reaching out. My team we're gearing up for a big series this weekend, so practice has been hectic. But uh. I'm happy. I mean, that's something all the attention that I'm getting is all positive stuff. And I know it's all for a good cause. So, I mean, I'm just happy to be representing Grambling State. Who are some of the people at Grambling that you feel like have helped you get to this point? Introduce us to some of those names and some of the teammates, especially your catcher, your battery during that game that made all of this possible. Yes, man. John Garcia, an unbelievable talent. Um, he makes me look a lot better than I actually am on a lot of days. Uh, his ability to keep pitches in the zone, make ball strikes, and then his hitting scoring runs when he's at the plate. Uh, he's a big contributor. Uh, Cam Buford uh, plays short and third for us, a big bat in our lineup. Jarfricker Parker, the middle infield guy, who I call my twin a lot of the time, big bat. Uh, Keelan Mack, Aries Gardner, my roommate on the road, which is uh, Trevor Hatton. Um, Try not to miss anybody at this point because I started naming names. But it's yeah, our, our team's really starting to fire on all cylinders at this point. And so uh, we're just – we're really looking forward to this weekend coming up. One more quick one on that, Darren, just a quick follow-up. When did you realize that something special was happening? And how did you react? What's your – what is your personality when you're in the dugout? Because I know you threw a complete game earlier in the year. But when did you realize that this was a little bit more special? Around the fifth inning, I think I got down uh, on a batter, three-one count, and I took a peek at the scoreboard to look at the count, and I realized that there was a zero in the hits column. So I was like, "Hmm, this is kind of neat at this point." I mean, we're playing well, we're hitting the bat. I mean, we're hitting the ball well, so I just got to keep filling, filling the zone up, and throwing strikes, and uh, it just kept going. Amazing. I love the awareness, by the way. So many people will not admit, I'm going to be honest, they won't admit that they looked at the scoreboard and figured it out or they looked and they didn't realize it. Why not be in the moment? Why not? We're all, it's almost like I got, I was lucky enough to call games for a few years in the big leagues and everyone told me never to talk about it on TV. If someone's right. like, why let's be in the moment together. If we're being so, honest. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Good. And I appreciate the honesty. You knew what you were doing. Have, so this seems to be, like the utopian state for you, meaning being at Grambling this year as a two-way player. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I know you kind of had your ups and downs in that way, though you enjoyed your stop at La Tech. You yeah, know, sure. one year you didn't get to hit as much as you wanted to, then the pitching, and it kind of went back and forth. Man, you are, you are clicking on both cylinders with a bat in your hand and as a pitcher. How much do you enjoy it, especially at Division One college baseball, being able to impact both sides? Uh, like you said, I definitely enjoyed my stop at Louisiana Tech because I made me I think it made me who I am today uh I got to witness good baseball on both sides and soak in information from great players great players along both my stops uh Pearl River and Louisiana Tech but now being able to contribute to a team on both sides of the ball I mean I definitely feel like I earned my keep by working for it but seeing the results like this it's, it's mind-blowing. It's fun to me because hitting is – I know I know how hard hitting is personally. So it's more of a challenge to me. But pitching, I feel like I'm able to control the game at my pace. So that's like the that, – I guess that's the competitive high that I get off of. 
real quick for our listeners who downloaded this triple slashing 345 456 560 as you listen to this podcast 10 starts as a pitcher uh, a 178 opponent's batting average of 26 ERA and 11 hit batters. So he's not afraid to pitch inside, which I, I really like that. Um, when did you fall in love with this game? I mean, when, if you're doing it still as a man, you had to love it at some point as a boy. Recall when that happened. Four years old. Then tell Four me the story. At Raleigh Dixie Youth Fields, uh, I played baseball for the first time. And I think my third birthday, I got my first bat. And since then, I kind of just took off with it. I tried other sports. I tried basketball in junior high. I tried football in the rookie league. And I wasn't – I'm the type of guy who really likes to do the things that he's good at because I want to be the best at them personally. And uh, I knew I had a knack for baseball, and it just kept getting better and better. So someone put that bat in your hand. Who put that bat in your hand? My dad, Sherman Page. Sherman Page. So you you told us before we got on your your dad passed away. You were really young, and I've had experiences with that. You know, um, Darren just lost his dad, Hall of Famer. Um, so it's a it's not a club you want to be a part of. But your dad did have influence on you growing up. Can you recall what that looked like and what he was able to do and impact you as such a young kid? Uh. My dad was always the light of the room wherever he was. We were not rich by any means, but he made sure I had everything that I needed and most of what I wanted. So that's, those are kind of the core values that I carry throughout life now at this point. And uh, like I said, most of the people that I come into contact with, even people that I don't know, people that knew my dad, they just they have nothing but good things to say about him. So for me to be doing what I'm doing and acknowledging my dad and those people hearing these names, because our names are very similar in my family, Sherman, is my dad, Shermaine, is my older brother, and me, Shamar. So we're a very, very tight-knit family name. And for me to be able to just pass on this name in a good way, I, I know he's enjoying looking at it from there. Yeah, no doubt. There's no doubt about that. It, the, your career has been – there's so much depth to it. You mentioned um, starting at Pearl River Community College and then Law Tech, and now Grambling. You know, you get to this point, you've seen a lot, you've done a lot. Dad's been there along the way. Do you feel like you took something positive away um, from the impact that he's had on you? And you've carried that with you all this time. I mean, you've been playing college baseball, I think, since 2017. Is that correct? Yes, ma'am. Okay. Yeah. So all these years, I mean, that's incredible. You you probably are the big brother and maybe like a dad-like figure to some of your teammates, um, which is pretty cool, I think, to be able to say. I'm not calling you old, Darren. Don't get it twisted. I'm not calling you old. But, you well, know. He's kind of old. He's a little bit well, old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But in a good way. The good guy. You're a veteran now. What did you take from, from that experience now that you are growing into yourself and um, doing some really incredible things in the college baseball space? Honestly, it's just that it's so – I know that life is tough, and baseball is tough as well. So, I mean, uh, the failures in baseball, can't, they won't ever compare to the, the way that life makes you feel sometimes. So, uh, I mean, honestly, it's just the will to want to keep going and want to do better, uh, just like baseball. I, I try to apply both because, I mean, like you said, I'm at the baseball field a lot now. So, I mean, I try not to let the way I felt yesterday impact how good today might be. It's, it's interesting. Um, you know, a lot of times when I know I'm going to get a chance to talk with an athlete, I'll, I'll check on he or she's social Instagram and, and, you know, there are some neat positive things you find. And I found a saying on your Instagram that, um, I kind of love, I don't like it. I love it. I got it says, and I, it's, yeah. And it says, and I quote bloom where you are planted and you gave credit to your mom. It sounds like for that one, boy, expound upon why you posted that because I love that. Early on in the season, um, I was having personal success, but our team wasn't, like I said, our team wasn't really firing. Like, I knew that we were capable of and that our team knew that we were uh, capable of. And at that point, yes, I was excited about the personal success, but in all in all, I came here to win. The winning, wing, winning is the best exposure, I feel like. So, I mean, my mom is, like I said, we're a tight-knit family. So, she, she, she saw how big of an impact that, the season was happening on me early. So she was just giving me some uplifting words about uh, just, be, just blooming where you're playing. And if you focus on where you are in that moment, you got it's your job to make the best out of it. 
I love that. Oh, that's love so that. strong. So yeah. good. Hey, who are you as a hitter? Give me a little bit of a scouting report to you as a hitter. I want to geek out on baseball just a little bit. So if I'm going to walk up and, and see your side swing, what would you tell me some of the moving key parts to, to your machine are as a hitter? Okay. Would you be mad if I asked you to give me your, if your personal viewpoint first? Because me, I, I'm so serious. Me pitching and hitting. I try and I watch baseball a lot. Don't get me wrong. I go to sleep watching college baseball, but <laughs> I struggle with trying to compare myself to, with other people. So I love being around baseball minds because I love soaking in information. That's why I feel like I was at tech. Honestly, I feel like God put me there for maybe not to play, but just to soak up the information. You tell me what you see. Cause I, I haven't been able to find anyone that I well, see. I, I can't comp you. I, I, I'm not going to comp you, but you tell me, do you have a big leg kick? Is there a timing mechanism there? Junior college, I had a leg kick. When I got to Louisiana Tech, coach uh, Mitch Gaspard, former coach at Georgia and Alabama, sure. he kind of got me in a rhythm to where I was comfortable without the leg kick. So when I got to Grambling, I said, you know what, I don't want to come in and try and hit a bunch of home runs because I've never been that guy. I, I really never have. I feel like I'm an average guy. I try and put the ball in the gap. That's my approach. Middle away, hitting the ball hard every time. You don't strike out. So tell me about your hands. What's your thought with your hands? As a pitcher, when I'm in the box, I know how guys approach lefties who look like me because I know how I approach lefties that look like me. Striking out is a feeling that I do not enjoy by any means. I hate that feeling. So one is refusing to strike out. I try and put the ball at play by any means. And two, my hands, I try. Like I said, I don't try to hit home runs. So I, don't, I don't mind getting beat because I feel like I can compete with anybody's fastball at this point. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it. Just I, I, I'm more of a competitor in the box than I am at, on the mound because I know on the mound I just have to put the ball somewhere. I know hitting is hitting is so weird. You can put the best swing on the ball and not get a hit, and you can take the ugliest swing and get a hit. So good scouting report. You didn't know you gave it yeah. to me, but good scouting. <laughs> it was very good. It was very I'm sorry. good. I like it. I I want to know why Grambling. What what led you to this program to this school? um give us some insight into that so after making the decision to leave Louisiana Tech after the fall quarter I was able to go home for a while because they're on the quarter system and I knew that anywhere that I went I would just pick back up in January and be on the semester so I went home and honestly just talking with my family and I did a better job of uh looking and diving into the schools and who they had on rosters and who played where and I was trying to just put myself in the best position to be able to maximize offense and defense on both sides of the ball, wherever I went. And Coach Pierre reached out to me and he kind of mapped it out where he saw that I would be able to fit in and how I could help here and how I could help here. And then my brother, Shermaine, he actually played uh, baseball at Tougaloo University in Jackson, which is HBCU. So, and then his wife, my sister-in-law also went to HBCU. So honestly, um, I was just trying to take it all in from both sides. I actually did a big pros and cons board, and it all just pointed to Grambling, honestly. That's awesome. I love to hear that. You know, you you've you seem very put together and you, you know, you've been through a lot. What what happens after school? What do, what do you want? Because I feel like you can have anything you want. What do you want to be? What do you want to do? How do you want to contribute to the world when you leave school? When I leave school, the plans are, of course, to play baseball for as long as possible. I mean, everybody says that. But honestly, I don't think that's my end goal. Uh, I want to coach. That's my dream, just get back to the game that's not, that I feel like is giving me so much more than I thought it could at any point. I've been a lot of places that I know I wouldn't have been without baseball. So, I mean, I don't see any other. I mean, I know I'm good with people. So I feel like that's, the, I feel like that's my gift back to the game is teaching it. You are. I feel like Darren and I are in good hands right now. I, I feel <laughs> like, you know, I just do. I don't know. You have this energy about you. Sorry, Darren. I just wanted to say that. I do feel like you would be great giving back in that way. Yes, man. Yeah, no, I just have one final question. It's just tell me a little bit about, you know, introduce some of your pitches to me. Those that 
are your friend? What were the pitches that were your friend the day that you threw the perfect game? What is your mindset a little bit? You're talking in this case to an old minor league pitcher myself. So uh, I love hearing pitchers talk pitching. What, what, what are some of your most important pitches and how do they stand as your friend? Okay. So on that particular day, before the game, I was getting loose. I did realize that I felt abnormally well that day. So that was a good day to dot a fastball. I love getting ahead with a fastball. Like you said, pitching inside, I use that to my advantage because I know how uncomfortable it makes hitters as being a hitter as well. So um, usually loving to go four seam away to righties and lefties, two seam in under the hands. On that particular day, my curveball was very, very good. Very, very good. Um, I probably threw that more than any other off-speed pitch I have. And this season was big for me developing a better a better feel for uh, my changeup, which I've been able to use a lot. Uh, I'm getting better at throwing it to righties, which is why some of those hit by pitches are up, because I've been trying to, <laughs> trying to get in a better groove with that, because I know that's a devastating pitch for a right-handed hitter who sits fastballs. That's amazing. Wow. I mean, first of all, amazing description. This was a treat for both of us, I know, and I hope that we get to cross paths with you in the future. You're going to do such great things, whatever you you end up doing, Shamar, but thank you for, for giving us some time and, and sharing who you are. I, I love this so much. Yes, ma'am. No, you guys have no idea how much it means to me. I'm happy to be here. We got Vinny Servino's take on the draft, and you know, wherever Vinny goes, Brian Sikowski goes. Again, um, such a great writer, such a great scout. And I think one of the two of them, wonderful content creators. So listen to this bit of content through the scouts eyes, the draft board, the draft 400, some of the key names Brian wants to talk about heading into July's 2022 amateur draft. We are three months from the major league baseball draft. Uh, something that seems a little unreal to say, considering we're in mid April, but with the draft being moved back, like it was last year and like it'll continue to be, uh, the draft now being in mid-July, so it gives us a little bit more of a calendar. But anyways, we're three months out. Uh, last week at PerfectGame.org, we dropped the updated Top 400 MLB Draft Board. Uh, Vinny Servino and myself spent, you know, I don't know, 200 hours working on that and finally put it out to the public. It's out for you to view on the website. Go ahead and take a look. But that's what we're going to talk about here uh, for my segment of Amateur Hour this week. Number one. We stayed with Elijah Green, had a lot of discussion about it, talked about Andrew Jones, talked about one of the college guys, talked about maybe one of the arms, talked about whoever. Elijah Green won out for us. Uh, and a lot of it has to do with how good he's been in the last month. A lot of it has to do with the developmental trajectory. So a, a phrase we talk about often uh, with guys and a phrase that doesn't seem to be understood even all that much, but uh, a guy that we've seen come so far and improve so much and improve so rapidly with the, the physical tools that he has, with the aptitude that he has. He's our number one guy. We're not going to change that. Uh, spoiler, leading up to July, we won't be changing it for, with Green at one. Right behind him, Drew Jones. Uh, he's number one on a lot of boards. Obviously see the arguments there. Potential 70 glove and center with power and the right-handed swing. He can run. Got all the bloodlines in the world. Termar Johnson checks in at number four. Jackson Holiday, number eight. Those are the high school guys for us uh, up that high. The college guys, our, our top one is Kevin Parada, the catcher from Georgia Tech, right-handed bat. The concerns there are if he can catch or not. And for my money, I don't really care uh, because he can really, really hit. He can really, really hit for power. Uh, if he was a first base only, we'd be talking about him in the same breath as Andrew Vaughn or Spencer Torkelson of the last couple of years. So that much ability in the bat, that much offensive value upside. He's number three. Brooksley at number five may be the early favorite to go 1-1, one, one, uh, just considering how Baltimore may want to cut at that pick. But Brooksley, the shortstop from Cal Poly, son of a coach, elite makeup, uh, really good tools, can really hit. Maybe has to play third base, but again, one of those situations where the bat kind of makes it irrelevant. Talked about Jace Young at number seven, the Texas Tech second baseman. Gavin Cross, the Virginia Tech outfielder, and Jordan Beck, the Tennessee outfielder, round out our top 10. Uh, lots to like about the college bat class, lot to like about the prep pitching, and obviously more than enough to like about the prep bats at the top. What a class. If you're digging college baseball, and I bet you are because you're listening to this podcast, gotcha, trapped you, you're digging it, go to Perfect Game TV. You can go online. But that's kind of our kick at this point. Go ahead and grab the app on your phone. Go find it in your app store. Perfect Game TV. 
and, and go listen to Perfect Game. Watch Perfect Game College Baseball. Hunter Pence and I co-host the show. That Hunter Pence, I feel the need to say that every time because people think, who, Hunter Pence, former D3 coach from Wisconsin? No, the one who played in the big leagues forever and ever and ever. He's my co-host, and he dives deep in a great chat with Hayden McGeary. 19 home runs this year as we record this. The reigning Division II player of the year, a big guy out of Arizona who really nobody wanted to, to in professional baseball, certainly, but to go to college. So he goes to D2. He shapes his life, has a kick-butt single mom who's strong as the world, and he is too. So you're going to love listening to part of this. Here's Hunter Pence and Hayden McGeary from Perfect Game College Baseball. Well, you've definitely found your way, Hayden, on the field, and you're coming off of 2021 uh, winning all three Player of the Year awards, uh, pretty amazing. And, and I'm just going to shout out the numbers before we get to the meat and potatoes, which is how you get to the numbers, Hayden. Uh, 448 average right now, 1508 OPS. This is unheard of. Uh, this is awesome. And I, I'm sure it's a joy to watch you step in the box. Um, something I thought was pretty amazing as well with this kind of power number, 17 homers. 25 walks, eight hit by pitches, and only 27 strikeouts. So your contact is incredible as well, Hayden. T talk to us a little bit about your approach when you step in the box on a daily basis. Uh, just kind of doing whatever I have to to help the team win um, and definitely try not to do too much. Uh, you know, the, you fall in love with kind of seeing how far you can hit the ball. And, you know, as a younger hitter, I didn't really realize it as much as I do now. You know, you don't have to hit it very hard. You don't have to swing very hard to hit it very far. Um, and that's definitely helped me a lot, you know, the, as far as contact. Um, just kind of putting barrel on baseball and, you know, leaving it up to whatever happens after that. Not trying to do too much. Hayden, I, I think that's actually very profound as a guy who's overthought the game for many years and still is. Uh, you know, you're, you're, you're big, you're strong. You came into it big and strong and, and everyone loves to see how far you can hit it. But I still think, to do less and, and hit the ball far is more than just being big. You have to have certain mechanics kind of correct. Is there anything in particular you trust in your swing that you can be like, I don't have to swing very hard. Like, like take us through like some mechanics that matter or, or your thoughts on, on bat path, or you just see the ball, hit the ball. It's natural. Um, in game it's, it's, you know, clear mind, you know, just react. Um, but you know, off, off the field, you know, in the cages and stuff, it's work above the ball and inside. Um, you know, when I know I'm going good is when I'm driving balls either into the gap or out of the park to right center field. Um, so I feel like that, you know, staying with that mindset in the cage helps on the field naturally, you know, take its take its course. But yeah, definitely working above the ball. Well, that's that's a, that's interesting, Hayden. And and when you say work above the ball, and and uh, I, I just want to hear kind of your, what what that means to you, uh, and and how it, what is your process? Let's say before a game, because this is these are the things that I love to study, and I think everyone in perfect game would like to hear from someone that, with your success. So, what is hitting above the ball, and what is your process of getting that done in the cage before you go into the game, so that you can just simplify. Um. It's pretty, it's pretty simple. I, I've noticed in my career, like if I think get on plane or, you know, like stay level, I end up underneath the ball. Um, so for me, thinking above the ball or staying on top has helped me, you know, kind of correct that. Um, and then before the game, some high T, you know, before I even see a pitch thrown or BP or whatever, it's high T, a couple of top hand drills that I've done throughout the years. And then um, a few drills to just kind of work to the right side of the cage you know, before we even do any front toss or BP on the field. So just kind of get that process worked out. So first, let me say that this podcast is dedicated to Dylan Lesko, a good friend of all of what we do in content, the right-handed pitcher out of Buford, Georgia, and not dedicated in a sad way. Just we're going to watch him grind some more. We, we're sorry he's had to have Tommy John surgery. And uh, we know that he probably will be drafted in the first round because he's earned it. And they say he may even be better on the backside. Hate to hear it happen, though. So we'll dedicate it to Dylan. And um, gosh, maybe we'll have Danny help us understand the journey he goes through for the next year. Yeah, I mean, I saw that and your heart breaks because you get to know the kid, not just the person who's on the mound. And I know, you know, his family, how close he is with them. He's going to have great support, his teammates. He's had an amazing ride at Buford. Come on now. That kid has crushed throughout his career. And any team, any place that he goes, they're going to be lucky to have him. And we're going to be watching really closely. He's, he's part of the family. So I, I hope we get to see the journey. 
You can picture someone picking later, meaning a team that's a winning team last year, saying, we'll invest in this. We're in good shape right now. We'll invest, dare I say, Dodgers, somebody like that. Yeah. We'll invest in this, and we'll let him heal under our watchful eye. We have the luxury to do so. We want to thank Shamar Page for joining us and, and Parker Messick, two totally different kinds of guests, um, but two guys that we really enjoyed meeting. I, I just think it was a well-produced show, Danny, to get these two. Uh, love that we're, we're having uh, an HBCU player on, but a, a guy who threw a perfect game, and, and then Parker Messick's humility and perspective for a guy who's kind of a dude. Man, I just love, I love to show how diverse and how dynamic college baseball is. And I feel like that's the goal here is that, yeah, Parker Messick is leading strikeouts across the country. Well, Shamar Page at Grambling is not too far behind him and probably doesn't get as much attention because he's over at Grambling. But what he's done throughout his career, I mean, the human that he is stands out to me and then what Parker has been doing and how he has developed and then he's willing to share it. That's everything to me. I feel like that's what sets this podcast apart is that you get to know who these people are before they become millionaires or college coaches or teachers or astronauts, whatever they want to be. You get to know this person who's playing a really, really hard sport and, and doing it in college. And I feel like actually now that I'm talking out loud, just reiterating that being a college athlete is harder than anybody realizes. And there's a lot going on right now in the space. And I, I think um, it, it's tough to see. And I, I hate watching it happen, but I hope that people are realizing that it's really hard to do all of this at the same time and also be a good person and then pitch your brains out or hit your brains out, whatever it may be. I, I think that it's important to note, like we're paying attention. We see that um, and, and we know how difficult it is. And I, I, you know, I just hope people pay extra attention to the space right now and, and take that into consideration the next time you want to get mad at a, a kid or, you know, put a lot of pressure on a kid. They're just a kid doing what they love. That's all. So I, I went on a little rant there, Darren, but I, I realized maybe it's important to say that. No, I appreciate you talking out loud. That's nice. Cause that the podcast goes a lot better when you talk out loud. It, yeah, it, it, really, yeah. it really does. <laughs> hey, comment, whatever your comment may be. We'd love to see it. We don't care if it's positive or negative, make sure you comment, go ahead and subscribe. So this can hit your inbox every time we have a, a brand new one come your way. And, uh, you know, we, we just really appreciate you supporting this podcast and all perfect game content, Danny and Darren amateur hour. We're going to have a, another one dropped here, uh, in a couple of weeks. Peace. Mm -hmm.